This is Jack Donovan. You are listening to Start the World. I'm here today with Brandon Lilly. Brandon is a strength coach and the author of The Cube Method and 365 Strong. He had a long powerlifting career and is regarded as one of the strongest powerlifters of all time. After ending his powerlifting career, he switched gears and he's become known in uh, the strength world and many other circles as just an all-around thoughtful guy who talks a lot about life and motivation and philosophy. You can follow him on his new path at brandonlilly 3 on Instagram. And I met Brandon briefly last year, and we've done a lot talking back and forth. So this has been a long time coming. So, Brandon, thanks for coming on Start the World. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for putting up with my technology failures last week. It was, a, it was a hectic day trying to get that thing sorted out, but glad we're here. No doubt. I was, I was blown away. It was even a Mac problem. Uh, yeah, I think, um, so just to give you a background, there's, there's a virus of some sort. It's a malware, actually. It's not technically a virus, but um, it has been proven to be uh, penetrable as far as the MacBooks go, and it, it just reroutes your browser, you know, just kind of sends you in a loop. It makes it difficult to, to undo, and the lady that was on the phone with me was actually kind of cool. She, she was a supervisor, and she came on very, very, very quickly. Uh, to assess what it was because it was a specific type and she was very familiar with it. Super, super awesome. As far as helpful, we got it done in about five minutes once we actually got involved or once she actually got involved, but she was telling me that they're monitoring each individual case because it's adapting and it seems to penetrate just a little bit further through their system. So it's something that she seemed to think that they had very well under control. It's just kind of a pest at this point. So they're, they're trying to backdoor ways to prevent it from getting out of hand. But it was, it was kind of cool to see the, the power of a company when shit kind of goes bad, you know, and there's potential for, for loss or potential for, for blowback. I mean, super courteous, super fast, knew exactly everything to tell me what to do was even on board with the, I mean, it was just, it was an interesting process to see, versus the average call of like, hey, can I get a new cell phone or something like that? It just, it's kind of interesting to see how efficient big business can be when they choose to be or when it saves their ass some money. <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, that's, the, that's, that's why if they're doing yeah, it right, you know? For sure. Cool. All but right, we're so, good now, man. Good, good. <laughs> good. So, so a, lot, a lot of people know your story. I've, I've listened to you talk about it on a few podcasts, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of my listeners actually aren't in the strength world or, or whatever. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about where you've been and what happened and where you're going? Yeah. So small town kid grew up in Paintlick, Kentucky, a um, little bit outside of the city of Berea, Kentucky. People know that because of the college, very interesting, you know, dial or, you know, segue there into a different story. But um, Berea college was founded around 1859 and the city grew out from there. And it was founded by a guy named John G fee. He was a reverend and he, he kind of stood by the ethos of God is made of one blood, all peoples of the earth. And in 1859, in the heart of Kentucky, just south of the Battle of Richmond, um, he came and started an institution of higher learning that was 50% Appalachian white st students and 50% African American students, in which no student would pay tuition to go there. They would work the land, they would work in the offices and administration um, and, and have their tuition paid and trade for work service. Mm -hmm. So not only do you graduate with a four-year degree, uh, liberal arts school, number one richest endowed uh, liberal arts school in America, actually, and it's all funded by donation 
uh, from, from graduates and so on. But that kind of gives you the context of the town I lived in. It's a really neat place where there's some very, very progressive views as far as I can remember very early on um, in the nineties, like early adaptation for, especially for Kentucky, some marijuana movements, some gay pride parades, things like that. We have a big P flag foundation, which is parents for lesbian and gay community. Um, tons of outreach here, just very, very diverse in a not so very diverse place. We've had some, some, in, you know, intimate relations with uh, Fred Phelps and the guys out there, you know, oh, coming yeah. down here and that, I've and, heard about and, that for a long time. Yeah. Picketing. Um, we actually had Matthew Shepard's mother come and speak, um, got to meet the Dalai Lama there a couple of times. So it's a pretty cool place to just give you an idea of where I grew up. It is the country, but it's also got a lot of heart and soul to it. Um, I think that probably called to me as much as anything, just meeting a unique set of people at a very early age and then somewhat kind of having to ebb and flow into that world because my mother worked at the college. So I could see myself, you know, at the convocations and learning and stuff as a small child and then kind of have to come back to school the next day and just be my regular self and stuff like that. So I think my mom, her employment there probably piqued my interest in education and, and some worldviews fairly early on. So I always had this imagination that I was bigger than this place and I needed to get out of this place. So, you know, I stuck around for college uh, there because that was the one kind of promise that my mom had, had made all of us was that she would work there so that her boys could go to school um, for free of charge. I mean, we, there was a, there's an income exception. So we, we actually made above the income, but because she worked there, we could actually go to school there. So graduated from there in 2004, really, really deliberated back and forth about leaving to join the military post 9-11, decided to honor my mom's wishes and get the degree. And shortly after graduation, I was working in a wood shop, ended up finding myself, um, you know, looking towards getting married, starting a career rather than the military. So that went was going really, really well, was working a kind of a career path with General Motors and uh, got caught up in the 2008-2009 recession and the rebuilding, restructuring of General Motors. Ended up getting a job at a dealership uh, through General Motors that was a commission job in a recession. And due to that time, I was doing everything that I could. I was you know, really, really just trying to figure it all out and got the opportunity to go to West side and train. Um, that was kind of like when you're hitting rock bottom or you think that you're hitting rock bottom, you know, you get one of those moments where it's like, Oh, the universe is talking to me or God is intervening here and you get this call. So the, the ins and outs of that was I had really just been all over the place. Felt like I'd let my family down, felt like I'd let my friends down because I, you know, your small town, you got to be a working man. And I was just working my ass to death and I was not getting ahead. So go up to Columbus, uh, started on this powerlifting career, was really, really distracted um, with a lot of things, trying to balance the fact that I was still living in Kentucky and had family in Kentucky, driving up three to four days a week to Columbus, Ohio to train three hours up, three hours back, leaving at two o'clock in the morning, getting back at one in the afternoon, trying to work a second shift and it was just crazy. And Louie took note of that. I, I was progressing, but it was, I was turmoil to myself and I was kind of turmoil to the gym, you know, leaving town, never building relationships as well as just, you never knew where my head was. I was all over the place and, and violence and, and will to win kind of kept me together enough to, to perform. 
but I was falling apart in other ways. And after about 362 days at Westside Barbell, um, he told me to go get my head straight, figure things out and let him know if I did. Well, I started training across town at Lexon and for whatever reason, I don't know if it was Louie giving me the wake up call that I needed, but that helped me kind of figure the gym back out. Progressed through that, um, was hitting really good totals, big lifts. And then I kind of had this, this moment at the Arnold, um, the Arnold Classic. They had a powerlifting championship. And I had been lifting in competitive powerlifting as a multiply lifter, meaning we got to wear squat suits, bench shirts, and whatnot. And the heaviest bench press I ever did was 832 pounds in a bench shirt. And it was actually the easiest bench press that I'd ever done. And a lot of people, I think that would have excited them, you know, like, Oh my God, I can go 900 or I can go beyond 900. Excuse me. And for me, what it really boiled down to was how am I really testing myself? If the heaviest lift I have ever done um, is also the easiest fat. It was so fast that I thought the, the side spotters took it. I thought that they lifted it off of me. And that's what I'm saying. There was no struggle to it whatsoever. So for me, I used to make this sweeping statement that gear had advanced. I'm saying for my preferences, for the way that I chose to lift, gear had advanced past my threshold of enjoyment. It was, it was too accommodating to lifters that I felt like weren't as technically sound or necessarily as strong. You could, right. you could kind of – and listen – that's the same argument that's made for, you know, drag racing a stock car versus drag racing a top fuel. I mean, it, there, it takes all kinds. Sure. And when I'm 27, 28 years old, I wanted to fight the world and tell everybody that you're wrong. I'm right. Follow me. And I went into raw lifting and I started to do really, really well in raw lifting. I kind of took on the character mold of, you know, I was an easy villain, I think. And mm -hmm. that brought me attention. That brought me um, a certain endearment from one side. And it was like all the people that I was leaving behind on the other. So it was very easy to rally with the new crowd and just made a lot of mistakes and things that I said and fingers that I pointed, but fast forward, um, I was riding waves after wave after wave and just better and better and better exposure was going through the roof. And on January 26th of 2014, I was in LA after winning two championships down in Australia in August. And then in October, I'm sorry, November, I'd gone to Mexico, absolutely lived it up. had a fantastic time. Don't think I didn't go five minutes without a drink in my hand. You know, it was just, it was a celebratory trip, you know, coming back from Australia and, stop in Mexico and spend a week. I mean, it was, it was a really beautiful time in a world, in a, in a timeline of mine that was chaos. And I go to LA, um, kind of all eyes are on, on the, the competition because it's the LA Fit Expo. I had done several things for that competition that I would have never done. One, I didn't do a full prep because I'd been in Australia and Mexico. Um, I cut weight because a guy directly challenged me and I thought, well, I can win outright, but going head to head with another guy um, and cutting weight and not having this training, like I was building hurdle after hurdle to justify to myself that it was a bigger win than what it was if, if I had indeed won. So I take my first attempt, squat it, take my second attempt, squat it, but it was 744 pounds. It was a little bit high. And I thought, you know what? I'm feeling some groin tension. Um, I'm going to kind of widen my stance back out, give myself some more glute and hip or hamstring recruitment, kind of save the groin. 
soon as I stepped back, I widened my stance. And that was just, I mean, looking at it now, it was just momentum and, and adrenaline that made that decision. But my groin exposed, you know, as far as it just opened up more, the, uh, the adductor pop pulled whatever it was and then the knee snapped in the left knee and rotated inward and the bar stayed on my back and we went to the ground both my ankles rolled out both knees snapped once I hit the ground sounded like rice krispies and on the right leg it was quad tendon patella tendon ankle was uh, sprained not broken left leg it was quad tendon patella tendon ACL MCL meniscus and PCL literally the thing in my kneecap had actually retracted somehow, some way, about five inches north of where it should be and about four inches to the outside of my quad sweep, so much that it actually cut through my quad muscle. And wow. the, the kneecap was just kind of embedded there. Like I literally remember laying down, I was in knee sleeves and I look over and there's this bulge sticking out at the top. And that might've been the issue there too, because they were so tight, it might've pressed them out and up, I don't know. Right. But I looked down and I said, what is that? And the guy behind me that was like trying to keep me calm with his hands on my shoulders, which by the way, did not keep me calm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was like, bro, that's your kneecap. And I was like, let me walk it off. Let me, like, I was just out of my mind, you know? Right. And then right. I, I woke up the next day and I was double casted and they told me, they're like, you're probably done lifting. You'll be lucky if you can walk in 10 months. And if you can ever squat again, considered a miracle well 10 months to the day I was back in Australia competing at the GPA Worlds where I did squat 660 I benched 551 and I pulled 727 or so it's like a 1968 total um, which is still you know very very at the time for that event it was it was a very good total I think I finished second that day um, but actually on broken knees or repaired knees and infected um, I was completely, my knee was absolutely swollen to the size of, it looked like a cantaloupe under the skin and they had to cut my, I'll actually send you a picture, but there's a, at my last deadlift, I've got my hands out like I used to do kind of zombie style. And you can see where I'd cut the knee sleeve because the leg had already started to swell. So I had to have surgery before I could return home from Brisbane and on the flight home to Chicago, um, the pressure in the cabin changed and it caused my knee to rupture. Um, the the skin to rupture the the stitches to swell or the skin to swell and the stitches to rupture and tear so I'm in the airport in Chicago literally a 48 minute flight from home and I've got my leg wrapped up and a lady sees the blood like coming down my leg so I had to go to the bathroom I had to buy a new pair of pants at the store that said like Chicago the windy city or some bullshit down the leg you know and I had to basically just wrap my leg in an entire roll of paper towels and put the old pair of pants on over that to keep it in place and then put the sweatpants on so I could get on with no blood like visible because they wouldn't let me fly. And I was due to have surgery the next day. I'd already called my doctor. So all that is told to tell you that over the, you know, from January 26th of 2014 to probably I want to say, yeah, it was July of 2017, I think. Yeah. I had 18 surgeries on my knees, um, just for an unwillingness to quit or submit to the fact that my body was begging me to stop lifting heavy weights. I could go to 400, 500, just fine. But when I would start creeping into the 600s and the 700s and so on, um, I would get an infection. My body would shut down and 
the last time when it kind of really hit me that I was, I was probably done lifting um, at a competitive level anyway. Uh, you know, kind of had a working relationship with my doctor to the point where I could text him and he was like, literally see you at the hospital at seven fifteen in the morning, I'll bump you to the front of the line. We'll get this done. I mean, it was, I wouldn't say we were friends cause he was kind of an asshole, but he was, a, he was a good surgeon and this will tell you how much he cared about me. He came back right as they were getting ready to put me under, you know, five, four, th- that kind of moment, you know, but I said, Hey doc, you're going to get me cleaned out. You know, you're going to fix me up. And he said, Brandon, I want you to know that if you wake up without a leg, I saved your life. And <laughs> then it was like, I don't know if I want to hear that right before I'm going to sleep, but all right. oh, dude, it was, yeah. it was terrifying. I mean, it was, it was terrifying. I can remember the tears like coming in my eyes and that kind of feeling, you know, you get the dry mouth almost instantly. And then they put that mask on me. And when I woke up, I saw my leg and I was literally almost as happy as I could ever remember being. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, that was a very, very unique reset point for me because the only times that I felt happiness before that were really, I mean, prior to that, I can remember being 12 years old and being happy. And then everything went weird. I became a really good athlete. I got recognized for being athletic. That kind of set me on the fast track of you no longer have friends, you have teammates kind of thing. Okay. So my world just evolved from there. And I I just chased sport forever, you know, for 20 plus years, I chased um, whether it was soccer, swimming, diving, running, endurance races, powerlifting, whatever it was, I've run the gamut, you know, and I've always been pretty adept at what I picked up. So I can remember in this moment, like, man, it's all dwindled down to I have my leg, like I have my leg. And um, I was like, I owe it to my leg and to my doctor and to my family and friends that have put up with me through this whole roller coaster to really do something about it. But I tell you that again, I kind of break for a second to tell you that when I fell, my parents, my family had no idea where I was competing. They had never seen me compete. They've still never seen me compete except very, very early, early on when I was young, I let my drive to be the best at something consume. Hey, we're having Thanksgiving dinner at 12. Well, guess what? I'm training at 12. So sorry. See you next year. Christmas is at 5 PM. Oh, guess what? I'm squatting at 5 PM. Well, see you next year. And it just became this retraction thinking that, you know, that was the grind. That was the dedication that it took. That was the isolation that it took from all these other things that mattered. Well, when I fell and my phone was filling up with people saying, Oh, I love you. I'm so sorry to see you fall, we're rooting for you, blah, blah, blah. And it's total strangers. And my parents don't even know to call. Mm -hmm. That was a pretty damning point. So when I got home from my first surgery, my dad walked in and I'm double casted, of course, and I'm in the wheelchair. He didn't even know where I live at that point. So he came in the house and talked to me and he said, I want to tell you two things. First and foremost, uh, whatever put us in this place where there's this kind of distance, I'm sorry. And he said, I should have told you secondly, that I love you and I'm proud of you every single day of your life. And I looked at him, not really fully ready to admit it, like still proud and full of ego and piss and vinegar, but there was something that kind of broke in me that that said, if my dad can change from the person, and my dad was never cruel, he was never out and out mean, he was hard, he was firm, and he worked a lot. And when he would come home, he got the rundown for mom, gave me the discipline, put me to bed. And that was it. Like that was my dad. And and when I was a kid, I couldn't see it. I hated him for it. 
But as an adult, I see, man, we had a roof over our head. We had food on our table every night. So all these things that I resented about my dad because other kids' dads were home throwing ball with them or playing this or that, playing that. My dad was doing his best. And in that moment for him to come and, and say that to me, that was the first pebble in the pond to really kind of wake me up to, to change. Finding out that I still had my leg was like the second, okay, motherfucker, here, like, here's the stone that is going to wake you up and create the ripples and waves that will change your life. So on the heels of that, my first goal from that last surgery, there's a hill that I used to climb forever and ever uh, here in Berea. And it's at the Pinnacles. If you ever want to look it up, it's the East Pinnacle in Berea, Kentucky. It's absolutely gorgeous. That was my thinking place. That was where I would go when I was a kid. And like, if I wanted to smoke weed for the first time, or, you know, if I just wanted to get away from everybody for a few minutes, that's where I would go. And because of powerlifting, I didn't hike it. Like I thought it was just calorie, you know, it was caloric consumption to go up there and, and hike that. And I had no desire to be in shape. I had no desire to be anything other than strong. So I omitted that vision for my life to the point that I would actually drive opposite routes to not pass it, you know, mm -hmm. and especially after my injury when it was just an impossibility. So my mind really started to change about how I looked at myself and I looked at the world and I stopped being, you know, result driven. And I started being more process driven mm -hmm. because forever it was like five more pounds is the only reason we train. No, I used to train to get that feeling and that happiness and that pump and that overwhelming feeling of accomplishment. And now I could do all of that. But if I didn't hit a PR at the end of my cycle, I felt like a failure. Right. So I took the joy from the process and only put the joy in the, in the result. Flip flop. I go out to this hill and I tell myself, doesn't matter if it takes you 24 hours, if it takes you 48 hours, you're going to get up there. If you, if you have to crawl, like literally how bad do you want to see this view? Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is up until that point, I didn't because I was, I just was lazy. You know, I, I was telling myself you can't do it, but the, the fact of it is I was afraid. So I get down there and I start and I literally, I got it done in about three times that it takes me to do it normally. I get up to the top and just overcome with, with pure emotion. Like I would imagine it to the same kind of feeling that a kid when they still believe in Santa Claus, you know, and they're, they're running downstairs and it's like, he, he remembered me. He, re, he brought <laughs> right. me this, these things, you know, and that's kind of what it was for me, except it was flip flopped in that I remembered how good it felt to be up there. I remembered those sunrises and those sunsets. And I remembered why I would go up there. So from that point, it was like, I'm 348 pounds. I've had 18 knee surgeries. I'm no longer any resemblance of who I used to be. Like, who is this guy sitting here? So I had a really, really long conversation. And it's kind of funny that we had this we're having this conversation right now, probably because I thought about it this morning, but I made a, a post on a, a page that I'm running on Instagram where I just give free workouts every day. And it's a picture of an espresso cup, you know, and I was sitting there this morning with why on my mind. And I went back to that moment, you know, like this was the beginning of my whys, like to get outside and to do the things that that 12 year old boy used to love to do, which is hike and ride his bike and go camping and whitewater rafting and all these things that I already had in my life. And for 20 years from third, from 12 years old to 32, I chased everything, but the things that brought me the most joy. You know, I was looking for people to like me. I was looking for people to, you know, rally around me and celebrate me. 
they did when I lifted a barbell. And it was like, when I was lifting a barbell, I got all of that. But I was the guy that still came home and couldn't have a real conversation without somebody saying, hey, man, what do you bench? Like, how much do you squat? Talk about training. Like, hey, man, I got this weird pain in my shoulder. Like, what should I do? for You know, and right. like at, at some level, you start to buy into that because it's easy. It's, it's easy. And it's like it's ego filling. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't fulfilling. And I needed to, to kind of remove myself from that. So my coaching clients changed very much. I, I just kind of lost the interest. I still work with a few. But I still, overall, it's because I care about those people, not I care about their PRs. That sounds kind of weird, but I, you know, I'm more invested mm-hmm. in them as, as people and understand that their powerlifting pursuit is wholesome. Like they're not leaving their families. They're not disrupting their lives to, to be good at the powerlifting that they're doing. But most of my clients have kind of been powerlifters or out of shape for a number of years. And they're trying to get back to a place where Hey, how can I be a better man? How can I be a better wife? How can I be a better son and daughter and these kind of things? And that selfishly has helped me by creating a culture of clientele that's on a similar path. Like it's, it's not like I'm sitting here at the chariot, like I'm the master, follow me. It's more like I'm interested in going this direction. Who's willing to walk this walk with me? Who's willing to tell me some things that, that might help me along? So my clientele base really diversified. I stopped putting out a lot of information because I told you before we started here, I hated being perceived as an expert. And, and I, I will fight for the fact that I think I am an expert when it comes to powerlifting, three sure. lifts, squat, bench, and deadlift. <laughs> but I was getting grouped into other conversations as an expert with people who were doing really, really high-level scientific work, really, really high-level, you know, in the gym, hands-on training kind of work. And I just started to feel like a fraud. I felt like a, I was very much cast in this light positively, but I kind of resented it because I felt dishonest about it. So I needed to retract myself maybe as an expert and as a viewpoint and then come back and show you, hey, I'm going to do this 100,000 meter row to support these kids with autism and these veterans that are coming home trying to have some transition. Um, I wanted to call awareness to that by putting my name to it so that I have accountability because I sure don't want to row today. But I, I still had enough of that ego drive that it helped me get to that finish line. So I've learned to kind of have this delicate dance with ego and, and pride where they can both propel you forward and pull you backwards. So I kind of have that why conversation a lot during the days. But these days, I am working for Sornex exercise equipment on the education side, kind of on the outdoor side. So guess what? I've come full spectrum and found a company that believed in me enough to allow me to utilize the, the education side of my knowledge base for strength training, talk to other coaches, talk to other athletes. And then on the flip side, we have Sorenex Outdoors, which isn't really a product of anything. It's more a shared experience of camping, hiking, shooting guns, going hunting, shooting your bow, whatever it may be that involves the outdoors. So I'm getting enrichment from both sides. I'm getting enrichment from my clientele. My family's back involved. I don't think that any of that would have happened at the trajectory that it has had I not had my injury. So point of injury, suicide attempt a couple of years later, five years later, we're sitting here talking about how good life is. So if anybody might hear this, I give you some, some, you know, stick in the ground that there is tomorrow. Like there's days beyond this moment. And, that's really what my message is, is just trying to help people live a little bit better, live a little bit easier on themselves, forgive themselves from some shit that they did and 
try to love everybody that they can that's deserving of the love. Cool, cool. I mean, it's interesting, like, uh, one thing I thought when I was listening to some of your other podcasts and, and so forth is that uh, it is a strange balance, I think, for people. Because if you really look at anyone who's gotten to the top of anything, there is that myopic like they kind of have to throw everything to the side and you're just going to do that one thing and be the top of that thing. Yeah. Uh, but we oh, go. Ahead. No, no. I just think it's, I think that's kind of a young man's game. I don't tell people, sure. to shy, I don't tell people to shy away from that entirely. I mean, if you can find this thing that, that rocks your world and maybe puts a little money in the bank and doesn't detract from, from your ethos. Fuck. Yeah burn the candle at both ends in your twenties, make that company work, make that business grow, make your life better. But at some point allow yourself to say, look, this is not sustainable forever. And for some people it is, but I think the overwhelming unrest in this country comes for people doing things in timely fashions that they don't agree with. You know, they start the family too early rather than starting their business, growing their business, being able to delegate and then starting the family or starting the family and never starting the business at all, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like I think people can get really frustrated. So one thing I have started to do more of myself is really, really invest in trusting my gut, trusting who I am, trusting what my, my intuition tells me and following that. And when I tell you that I am still equally as driven towards the very things that I care about, Mm-hmm. I am. I still have that same passion. I'll still get up at three o'clock in the morning to to go hiking. I'll still do whatever it takes to achieve my goals. I feel like that is a privilege of living in the United States is that whatever you want to do and whoever you want to become, there is a step-by-step procedure to get you to that point. Mm-hmm. And I can become singularly focused on any one of those things. I have just learned a process that allows me at three o'clock or at five o'clock or at seven o'clock or whatever time I dedicate I can put it down for the day. I don't have to carry that with me to the dinner table. I don't have to carry that with me when I go to the movie or the concert or this, that, and the other. Like I've really just accepted that. Is it really grinding if you take 12 hours to do what you could do in four? So I take pride in doing a lot of work in a condensed time so that I can live my life outside of that work spectrum. And beforehand, I always thought that it was like, if you were living and breathing, you should be working. And you should be posting and doing this kind of stuff. And like I said, I agree with that to a point and I live that to a point, but my body physically broke at 32, which I think shifted my mentality at 32. And I think it brought me back into a calibration point where I should have been like at 32, I should have been thinking about my exit strategy because at 25, the whole lingo that I gave people was, yeah, I want to do this till I'm about 30. And then I just want to kind of transition out and do some Highland games and strongman stuff. Sure remain active, but not necessarily competitive. So I was already lying to myself by continuing to go, Mm -hmm. but I was so wrapped up in my wave. I was so wrapped up in that progression that I didn't say, Hey, slow down, reassess. You're going seven, eight events where you're lifting maximally in a year. That's going to add up to disaster. What if you scaled this back to once or twice a year for the next three or four, then you can extend it out. But I wasn't having those conversations. I was living and competing and really all my relationships looked like I was ready to, to use you as much as I could and then burn you in and just go on to the next one and the next one and the next one. There was no thought process. It was all reactionary. All right. So you said that uh, 
you know, you, you, you should have noticed that you were at the end of your career and, and uh, that uh, you, you were reacting to things. Mm-hmm. And was there a situation where you weren't getting good advice or just not willing to take it? Definitely not willing to take it. I mean, at, at that point in time, you have to understand, I think my psychology was all the great lifters beyond injury, beyond, you know, downfall, personal struggles, whatever it was, the lifters that I looked up to were still banging it out. You know, the Louis Simmons, the Chuck mm-hmm. Vogelpoles, the guys that, that lifted well into their 40s and like Louis into his 60s um, and, and 70s now. I mean, he's not competing, but I always kind of had that mentality. I never I never set out to win trophies and, and set records. I just really, truly wanted the respect of my peers. You know, I kind of know those guys in gyms that are never going to lift the most weight. They're never going to have the greatest physique, but they're always a, like just a loyal, badass training partner, somebody that gets after it, somebody that really um, epitomizes what it means to just kind of be a blue collar, uh, you know, bodybuilder or blue, blue collar powerlifter. And I, I romanticize that so much that even in, in medical advice, in psychological advice, you know, anybody that was willing to give me support I was more tied to that romanticism of who I thought I should be or what I had to be to really become, you know, quote unquote legendary. Um, and I just, I just did not heed any advice whatsoever that was worthwhile until after the fact, you know, and it was just, I was really, really starting to see the breakdowns. And I mean, things that I've come to grips with and I've shared very, very close with, I mean, with people very close to me, but man, there were dark days in there. Like I, like I talked about earlier, you know, there was there was definitely a day where I did not want to live. Um, but I, I think even on the heels of that, while I, I admitted to myself, yes, I want to live, I want to be here, I want to progress, um, the actual physical situation that I was living in continued to deteriorate for another few months. So, and I think that was a really hard time too, because it's like, okay, I've turned this corner. I actively want to live. I actively want to improve my life and myself. And it just seemed like the whole, and it's, it's really just momentum. Looking back at it now, the things that transpired over the next two to three months were already set in motion six or eight months ago. It's kind of like I tell people, you know, I want to lose weight or I want to get out of debt or I want to change my life, whatever it is. You know, I, I try not to be motivational in that because motivational wanes uh, motivation wanes and, and the motivational speeches while they're good for the moment, and they might get you through today. You have to really start to dig that out of yourself and, and have intrinsic motivation, intrinsic vision of who you want to be and what you want to be. And I just cannot get it going just yet because the momentum from all my actions prior were still having their echo effect. And finally, once I kind of got to the point where there was still like nothing bad was happening, nothing good was happening that's when I was really able to make the turn and see that, okay, if it takes a thousand negative choices to get you in the hole, it's going to take a thousand and one to get you out. I just needed that moment to breathe and to really look at my life and say, what does that need to look like? What, what do I want to do? And I had, like I said, I had no idea why I would listen to people, but my dad, you know, speaking to him again, he made a very, very good point to me. He said, son, I want you to think about this. Have I ever given you bad advice have I ever given you advice that you wish you hadn't taken and I said no and he said you're just one of those people that lives too close to the flame he's like you are Icarus with the wings Mm -hmm. you go too close to the sun and you burn out he was like 
that's okay. And I think that makes you unique and who you are, but use a little bit of this perspective that people give you, you know, kind of weigh it all out. So, you know, it, it was several things that happened over time relationship, you know, definitely melded with my father, with my parents. And I started to understand and trust the fact that they had my best interest rather than I had to prove them wrong. I had to outperform them. I had to out earn them kind of thing. Um, I don't know where the chip on my shoulder came towards my parents necessarily, other than the fact of what I just told you, you know, they were young when they had me, they both worked their asses off. There wasn't a lot of that parental interaction, but there was definitely a ton of love. And I think just the kind of person that I am looking at some of my relationship skills or deficiencies, I think I'm a person who needs a lot of, you know, affection, whether it be standing here in the kitchen and cooking with someone, you know, sharing that kind of affectionate moment where it's intimate and it's connected or whether it's cuddling on the couch or holding hands in public, whatever it is, like I like those acts of affection and that was just not something that was really in, in my house. So, you know, we grew up kind of tough, but all being said, you know, my parents never stopped reaching out for me. They never stopped believing in me, even when I was kind of off doing my own. And now like today I was working, we were following some trees with my dad, my brother and I, and it's just, it almost seems like that time in my life was just this huge pause button. And I think how lucky am I to have done the things that I've done because of a, a time that was like totally fucked up, like where everything was off kilter, but the, the, you know, kind of, there was enough going on in the middle there that was enough to like propel me into a career of speaking or coaching or education, whatever it may be. So this time that I used to look at with a lot of regret and guilt and anger, you know, I've, I've kind of time heals all wounds and I've made amends with a lot of people within the sport that I made enemies with. I've apologized to a lot of people I needed to apologize to, but for myself, I think, man, I've just redefined what I think strong is strong has many modalities, you know, Alex Honnold being one in free solo climbing that mountain for four hours, that facing for four and a half hours. There is a, there's a serious uh, group of people in, in strength sports that would look at that and tell you that, well, can you unrack a thousand pounds? And it's like, uh, you, yeah. you know, but you know what I mean? There, oh, that, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I probably held some of that viewpoint too. Like, okay, you can have your, your argumentative strengths, but a thousand pounds is a thousand pounds, 800 pounds is 800 pounds. And like, it always goes back to the, the body weight, like, well, strong is pound for pound. That's cool. But if you got an 800 pound rock, who you calling me or the 165 pound guy, you know, that was right. the, that was the rock that I stood on. That was the sword yeah. that I died by, you know, the, there's no weight classes in the jungle quote, which was not necessarily me being braggadocious, it was more trying to get my clients to see, Hey, stop this madness with the weight cutting, stop this madness where you're, you're diminishing an entire training cycle, trying to make a weight class that you shouldn't be in anyway. This is your first or second meet. That's where it was derived from. Mm -hmm. But when it was kind of presented back to me as like, okay, this is your bravado. This is your swagger kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I jumped all over it. You know, it was, I was, I was susceptible to, an image that I was trying to uphold. And I think that we all try to hold an image to some level, but like this was the yin to my yang. It was, it was totally, I'm a very nice guy. I'm a very loving guy. I'm a very quiet person. And I was this loud, brash, tattooed, you know, kind of, kind of thing. 
and not to say that those things aren't part of me, but when all of those things came to the forefront and all of the good that I really know that I contain and, and believe in went to the backside, nobody got to see those things. So when it kind of started to eff, ebb and flow out, you know, throughout my injuries, throughout my surgeries, people started to, I lost a lot of the following that I'd gained, but I started to realize that that following never mattered anyway, because after my injury, the support wasn't there. Either. Right. So I started to realize that, okay. And I, I was so foolish, man, like in so many ways. Um, with, you mentioned the cube method, which is a method that I, I pinned and it really wasn't even intended to be a book. So don't buy it. Like do not buy the book. Okay. Just, <laughs> just Google, just Google it. And, and the PDF is out there for free. And I only say that because I'm not proud of it as, as a work, as a book, you know, it, it's information that's digestible. It's information that's usable and it's definitely made a lot of people stronger. I, I stand by that, but I do not stand by the fact that again, you know, I'm an English major. Um, I, and not that that means jack shit, but it's like, I have an understanding of the language. I have an understanding of what it takes to really write a research paper and do the depth of work to make something quality and, and publishable. And what this really was, was journaling that turned into a blog that turned into, Hey, expand on these blogs and make this a little bit more of what it is. And now it's a product and that's okay. Like I was young, I was dumb. I, you know, we were kind of the wild west on the internet there. And I put that out there. Like I said, I, I truly believe in the work. I just do not believe in the work that I did at a level that I should have had a standard to. So Definitely get the book if you're interested in rotations of intensities and things like that, but just realize that it is not something that I would be proud. And this is when I knew when I took the job with Sornex, uh, pop Sorn asked me about it. And I was like, I do not want this man to see it. You know? And that, it was like, for the first time in my life, I kind of had those feelings again of like guilt or regret or, and, and I think for so long, I just didn't feel those things because it was a hundred miles an hour forward and never look back because you burned all the bridges on the way, you know? And I think for me now I do, owe, I do owe the people that believe in the cube. And I think the cube method itself, I, I believe that I owe at least myself the, the right to do it better, but I'm trying to figure out a way to, to honor the people that paid for it the first go around or something like that. Like, I don't know what it is and hell it just may be free anyway, all across the board, but, it might open to some, some doors to different seminars or speaking or whatever, but it, I don't, I don't need a product. You know what I mean? I just want good work out there. I want good messages out there. That's why my friend Casey and I started um, peace, love and meet. It's a page dedicated to a daily training mod. I'm trying to remove barriers of entry for people that are getting their life back in shape. Like, I don't know what to do in the gym. Well, here's a workout every day. I don't know what books to read. Well, here's a list of 10 books. You know, I don't know what foods to eat. Well, here's how to cook a better steak than you'll eat it out back or whatever it is, you know, just right. small ways that people can slowly progress forward and hopefully get out of whatever shit they're in and start to see that life doesn't have to be big and bright and flashy, that it can be good with good people, good experiences and, and good places. So I'm just dedicated to, that end. I mean, Bert Soren, that's kind of his ethos, get a bunch of good people together doing cool things in cool places. And for me, those cool places don't have to be anywhere else than where I am. Like I try to cultivate people. I try to cultivate conversation. And I think on the heels of, of all that I've been through, I think that I can, I can be an every man as far as 
there's something that somebody could tell me and I can relate to it in some way. And if, if all that pain and if all those years took to get to that point where I can be more empathetic and more understanding of, of people around me and also not just empathetic, but also active in helping them improve or helping them get better then, then man, that's all worth it because it was 10 years for a hundred is what I hope, you know, trying to live forever over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, wherever you were got you to where you are. Sure. And you know, that's, you know, the Nietzsche uh, thing, uh, Amor Fati, like love your fate. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I think that actually that was a piece of advice that my dad gave to me. Uh, he said something along like, well, there's no point in having regrets because, and at the time I was like having some regrets and I was like, oh, yeah. I wish I wouldn't have done this. I wish I would have done yeah. this in my life or whatever. He's like, no, you're, you're working with the best information that you had at the time. You know, that's something that really set me free um, as far as relationships, because I was just perpetually awful, you know, and, and the way that I expected everything, you know, not, I, I shouldn't say this in a bad way, but, I expected every woman to be my grandmother, you know, like just very, very, like she was just on it, you know, yeah. doing, doing everything, running a house, running a business, just on it. And that was my fault setting expectations too high. But also I think for me, I just needed to understand that, you know, the failure of my relationships was due to the fact that I was in poor relationships you know, I didn't take time to understand why they failed. It was always right on to the next one and right on and on and on. And I'm kind of a person I realized that I need that 50 foot perspective. I need to get away from things for a while mm -hmm. to really think about myself and think about, okay, why do you think she left asshole? Well, because you treated her this way for this many months and this and that. And it was like, I never admitted to myself that I was abusive in the fact that I, like I said, I expected everything and I gave so little, you know, and it, it does, it doesn't have to be shouting. It doesn't have to be a punch to the face, right. this slow degrading kind of, you know, quote unquote, the Chinese water torture of like, gimme, gimme, gimme. Um, I'll give you whenever I feel like it, you know, kind of thing. Right. And when I realized just how selfish I was, not only in that, but in, you know, my powerlifting, I, I burned through training partners. I was just a consumer, just consume, consume, consume to the point now that it's like, I just want to give and give and give. But through that giving it somehow it balances me out to where I feel better. Like I feel like I'm capable of receiving more because I'm giving more. It's just a nice flow. And that sounds all hippy dippy and, and whatnot, but it really is true. I mean, I never thought that I would find myself in a place where people are looking to me for guidance on how to, to improve your life because Man, there were there were years where I was begging for help and didn't know who to ask. You know, yeah. I was I was looking for answers that I could not find because I was too proud to ask the questions. Yeah, you know, it, it's the pride, and also I think that uh, you really do become a product of the people that you surround yourself with to a certain mm -hmm. degree. And if you're surrounded yourself with people that are just going after this one thing or just want you for that one thing, um you're, you're not going to get as much good advice and you're not going to get uh, the, the right influences. And, and uh, you also, I mean, all of us, I mean, I'm a pretty individualistic guy, mm -hmm. uh, but I can, I can take on, you know, what, what's around me. 
and absorb right. it to a certain extent and absorb that kind of energy and, and uh, uh, adapt. Right. Uh, and so you, I think you, what you mentioned it earlier and uh, you know, we both kind of been talking about it is that you need to pick the people around you very selectively. Oh, I think that has been probably the most crucial thing in my life is that for the first time in my life, I really, really feel like I have a group of friends that we text almost every day. Um, we see each other. We don't live in close proximity necessarily this core group of people, but it's people that I see sprinkled throughout my year. Like at least once a month, I'm finding a group of one or two of them somewhere and we're doing things and it's, it's getting me through, but it's that constant. And I think for me, like I said, I, I don't, I kind of forgave myself on the front of, of the inability to make friendships because I never had to work those skill sets because as a young man, and this kind of comes back to the point, you know, my dad, I think it was my dad, my dad or my uncle, he told me, he was like, if you were to go out and build a house today, assuming that you'd never build a house, how good would it be? Well, I can make it look like it, but when the wind blows, it's probably going to fall over. Right? right. But if you build a house every day for 10 years, you kind of learn some shortcuts and some tricks and some, some improvement. And that's what he was saying. He was like, look, the failures that you're telling me about were in your third relationship, like your fourth relationship. Not that you need to go through a hundred relationships to find success, but I'm still pretty early in the game. You know, I need to, to really take some time and understand who I am. I'm not the same guy that was making those same mistakes at 16. So why are the mistakes the same? Why am I still doing the same things? So when I really started to get some space and, and allow myself some time to, to look and understand myself, I literally just looked at as myself as a skill builder, like, okay, this is not working. This hasn't worked in the past. Let's try something different. And then it just became this kind of, okay, this feels more like it should, this feels good. This feels more like me. This feels, and it just became this like, and I, and again, I think it's all momentum. When you start to gain the confidence and you start to gain the trust in yourself to make better decisions, then you gain momentum and good decision-making. You do more things, you're more productive, you're more effective because you're starting to weed out that process. And that's where I am right now. Like I know when I'm home, my process, my training, my diet, everything is, is dialed in. But when I travel, that's where I'm still learning because before, you know, when I maybe had a bigger name and was a bigger draw to the bigger people, um, the travel was accommodated. The, the food was accommodated. Like everything was planned out for me. I was just like an infant. I was a, I was a child that was told where to go. And I show up and it's like, okay, here's your plate, sir. Here's your, you know, perfectly done ribeye steak and whatever. And I mean, it was just, I became so spoiled by the success that I had achieved. I didn't even really get to relish it. So now I almost, I'm like, ah, let's not go to the restaurant. Let me cook for you guys. Even when they, even then they bring me out, it's like, that's something I love to do. Mm -hmm. And that's something that really endears me and them. Like it's a situation now. It's, it's a moment rather than, oh yeah, you remember the restaurant we went to? No, it's like, Hey, we, we had dinner here together. You fix this. You know, it's, it's a celebration of whatever this is. So I just try to immerse myself more into other people in that way. And then automatically you cook somebody a good ass steak. Like, they're going to give back to you, whether it's through stories or it's, you know, pouring you a nice whiskey or something like, that. I mean, it just, it, it becomes a very natural exchange. And for years I was not accustomed to that because I did not know how to make friends because every season my friends changed based on the seat or the sport. 
And I was implanted with, okay, here's your friends for the next three months. These are your soccer friends. And then like after soccer season, I wasn't hanging out with them after school. I wasn't spending night on Friday night. I was with the basketball kids. Well, you know, it was just, it put me in a weird place in high school. And I kind of found myself in a weird place many times as an adult, but you know what? It changed for me when I met uh, Mike DeSanti and he was like, well, if people aren't calling you start calling people. He's like, if people aren't inviting you to the party, throw your own damn party. And I really bought into that and just put more effort into texting people that mean something to me, letting people know where they stand in my life. Um, if I don't hear from someone, maybe it's not because you're the greatest thing in the world and they should call you. Maybe you should call them, right. you know, that kind of thing. So again, it all somewhat circles back to that ego and pride, which are buzzwords, cliche words thrown around a lot. But I really think for me, that's what it was. And I, I mean that honestly, I, like I said, I kind of walked that fine edge sword of, yeah, they're useful and they have made me successful and they continue to make me successful because I'm proud of my life. I'm, I'm, very much driven by success and, and fun, but it doesn't have to be at others expense. And I think that for me is the healthiest place I've been. It's like, I'm not going to step on anybody's throat to get better, but I'm definitely going to help somebody up if they're down. And when they get back on their feet or when they get better, they come back around and help. I mean, some of my friends now are just people who've been at rock bottom when I was up and when I was down, they were on top. And I mean, it's just, you need people. And I'm so lucky for the people I have in my life, man. It's, it's just a, it's a total game changer for me feeling like I was taking on the world by myself to realizing I got an army behind me. Yeah, absolutely. And over the long term, like the long game, uh, I've definitely found that, uh, I'm a nice guy naturally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, people, I, I, you know, I have the German frown. So when people did, sure. <laughs> people don't think that, but, uh, I, I've had a lot of people over the past few years where I, I go out and meet them and, uh, and hang out with them or whatever. And, and, uh, they can tell, yeah, you know, they can tell if you, uh, okay, well, yeah, he's not here to manipulate me or mess with my head or, or whatever. Right. use me for something. He, he, you know, he's, uh, yeah, genuine dude. And I think if, if you're genuinely decent to people, uh, over the long term, you know, it's like a reputation. It's like anything else. Like it comes, it goes with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, you know, if you, if you, if you manipulate people, I mean, uh, I think with urban environments, you know, you can get away with so much cause there's so many more people. Well, the exchanges happen so quickly. And I think yeah. that's, that's a perfect example of, of what social media was for me. I mean, like I said, small town roots, small town kid. And then, you know, you have a video of, of this lift or that lift. And all of a sudden you've got 25,000 followers and then it's 50,000 or whatever it is. And people are communicating with you like, oh my gosh, you're so awesome. 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 And you start to believe that. Well, yeah. then that becomes very dangerous. And I think for me, I was looking for that support. And then that support just, that went too far for me. Like I, I let too much of it in instead of, you know, doing a little better and not necessarily believing my own hype as much, but um, it's, it's a weird place right now because I still continue to put myself out there in the hopes that I can encourage people, help people, um, educate people in some way. But at the same time, like I told you, I kind of wrestle with that because my happiness is not through a screen. It's really face to face. So I'm, I'm kind of in, in as inspired as kind of the, the right word 
by what you've done and, and some other guys too that I follow that have really created a culture where they bring people together. They hold events and they do that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. we're, we're actually looking to do some things like that. Just want to process them out fully where, I mean, it's going to be food. Like I'm just going to cook for everybody kind of nice. thing. But um, yeah, I think it, the happiest I think I could be was, was like I said, um, cooking for people, probably camping. Red River Gorge is just up the road. I mean, why not have people out there do some cool shit at the gorge and cook them a meal, camp out that night, hike the next day. I mean, full spectrum love for Brandon Lilly right there. Like that's a perfect <laughs> day for me. So yeah, yeah. I have no, I have no problem uh, sharing that with people. And that really motivates me to get better and, and keep myself in shape and learn more about cooking flavors, all that kind of stuff. And, and really to do that with my brother, to, to have him there and to have him cooking because he can take salt, butter, and an egg and blow your mind. Like the best food you'd ever eat with three ingredients. You know, he's just one of those guys, but I don't know, man, it's, it's amazing to even say, I want to do something with my brother, you know, just, I'm very, very thankful for those moments. Thankful that he's still here. I'm still here and and we're doing shit together. So, um, yeah, life is, life is a weird, weird thing. It absolutely is. (laughs) You bring it's great to see things come around uh, full circle. I mean, like I, I, I've often said that, you know, when I was young, I didn't really get along with my dad sure. at all. And then now it's like, if I don't, if he calls me on Sunday and I don't answer, I, I get like harassment calls for like Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. We have our weekly talk. Yeah. And, and uh, now, you know, he, he keeps tabs on my business and what I'm doing and whatever. And uh, you know. that's probably the most hurtful thing to me is that, after my dad and I kind of reconciled everything, I would meet people in his life. And he was like, Oh man, your dad never shuts up about you. He's so proud of you. And like, I knew that he was, but I was too proud to take his call. I was too proud to to answer those messages and things. And I never gave him like, I'm sitting over here pissed off because like my dad never said he loved me. My dad never said this, but I never gave him the chance to, you know, like once he made, I mean, he's just like me. He realized his mistakes. He like, you should see him with my son. He's fucking Care Bear. Like he's the he's the biggest wuss in the world when it comes to my son. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but it's it's awesome to see. And it's like, holy shit, if the hardest man or one of the hardest men I've ever met can become this guy, then mm-hmm. there's hope for us all. Like there is hope for every yeah. one of us, man. Yeah. And I, I think I I used to dwell in a place and I hear people dwelling in a place where they say there's no hope. There's hope. Every single day there's hope. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to a guy, actually, I did a uh, podcast where I was the guest earlier this morning. Yeah. And uh, the, the guy actually, his name's last name's Boudreaux. And he, I think has started a high school recently. Oh yeah. Actually in that game, like he's actually, you know, dealing with youth all, youth all the time. And he has a podcast where he asked me 11 questions that like all of his students ask. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he asked me for advice and, and, uh, one of the things that I think, especially young people need to understand is, is perspective. Oh yeah. And that's a lot of what you're talking about. It's like, well, you, you'll get some perspective a little bit later. And you, cause that's the number one thing I think with uh, young people, everything is right now and right now is forever. You know, like yeah. that's, everything is so important that's happening right now. And then like now it's like, I don't even remember high school. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? Well, and, and like you say, it, it is really just perspective and experience and time. I mean, I, I made a post about that not too long ago, perspectives and time. 
That's mm-hmm. what will change the world. You know, yeah. you, you can't, you can't erase ideas that were strong held today. Even if you put out factual purposeful information, there's still going to be somebody that wakes up and denies the truth for what their belief is. That's sure. just the way of the world. So it's going to take time for, for that generation or that group of people to cease to exist, cease to live so that the next generation can have this little softening and this next softening and softening or this harshening, you know, whatever it is, it's like, Hey, we've been too much of this for too long. So now we got to be more of this or whatever, but it just takes time. There's no universal knowledge. There's no universal agreement on what knowledge is. So, you know, as long as there's Walmart people on walmart.com or whatever that website is, and people are celebrating that, there's going to be somebody over here celebrating the fortune 100 companies. I mean, right. it takes all kinds, it takes all types and not everybody's destined for greatness, but I think that people can excel in their lives and what they're destined to do, sure. you know, and that's, that's really where I'm at. I mean, I wish somebody had told me you don't have to make a million dollars to be happy because mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have set my number on a million dollars. I would have just looked at, okay, well I have a home and I have a car and I have the things that I want don't really need a million dollars to have those things. But so-and-so says I'm not worthy unless I have a million bucks. You know, the freedom from that question or that train of thought was when a guy said, well, where are you at with a million dollars? He's like, if you live in LA, it doesn't mean shit, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. (laughs) So he was like, get rid of these ideas of what things are just, Mm -hmm. you know, in LA, you might need $10 million, but you need to know what you want and where you want to be. And, then you can start building a plan. Cause I think that's the one thing with this distraction generation, uh, you know, and I say that after hearing another very smart person use that term, but this distraction community, like I was talking with two clients that are in their early twenties, just asking, what are you planning for? What are you hoping for? What is your end goal with all of this? And they're like, I just want to get bigger and stronger. Okay. Well we put an eighth of an inch on your bicep and we put five pounds on your bench. Problem solves. Yeah. Aren't you happy? No, I'm not happy. Well then what do you really want? Like, is it a 22 inch bicep? Is it a 500 pound bench press? Like let's get serious about what we're defining success as, you know, because I think we're getting lulled into this sleep where it's like, Oh, self-improvement. I'm working on that. I'm getting better. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But what are we working towards and where are the progress picks or where are the progress steps or whatever it is like self-accountability because I see people all the time. I mean, I literally just drove by somebody who I had a conversation with that I know 400, like 100% they're dedicated to talking about this diet. I just passed them coming out of Wendy's with like a burger in their mouth. Like you could tell the satisfaction and it's fine. And I love this person and I'll give them hell for it. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is they're not dedicated to it. They're not dedicated right. to their, their rhetoric that they're spitting everywhere they go. Like, Instagram, they're going to tell some sob story tonight about how they got sad and this, that, and the other. That's fine. Dedicated people can be sad. Dedicated people can have broken hearts. Dedicated people can have shitty days. It's like, let's just stop the games of saying I'm truly dedicated. Let's just say what you are. I'm casually dedicated to this goal. And I'm interested when, in this. Goal. I'm inter- it would be it would be cool to reach this goal. <laughs> I think feel, that goal's neat. Yeah. yeah. I love that you said neat. I was about to say it would feel neat. <laughs> but yeah, I just I think that's the real thing is like I don't care who you are, what you are, who you or who you choose to be, but at least have some spit in the game. Like you know, know what you're doing, know why you're doing it, and really, really 
dedicate to it. And I said spit in the game, not skin in the game. You should have stopped me there. That was <laughs> I, you know, I, it sounded weird, but I didn't quite catch it. So oh, I, I, it sounded real weird once I got it. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say people spitting these these reasons, but yeah, yeah. Spit, spit in the game, skin in the game, same thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, I just I, I think people really need to sit down and ask themselves: Am I being honest with what I'm saying? Like, am I being honest with what I'm living? Because for me, the truth is universal. That's the one thing, whether I want to call this telephone right here black or red or white or whatever it is, on the color spectrum, when I Google it, this is black. Like that, right. is, a, that is a universally understood truth. And, you know, that's the way I have to, re, you know, work with myself. Like, what do I want to do? What gets me out of bed in the morning? What are my goals? What are my visions? And if I am chasing things that are out of line with that, it's just going to create this unrest and kind of like the post I told you about, you know, yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to go into that, but yeah, yeah. You know, there was a, there was a post I made that after I made it, I just did not feel in line with it and it did not feel good. And two or three years ago, I probably would have felt just fine with it would have been negligent of it, but now it's kind of given me this weird thing, you know? So I think it's just that indicator that I'm really paying attention to what I feel and what I think and not necessarily jumping to any conclusions, but really kind of pondering on it and just letting it marinate so I can think, because I think that was the problem before everything was always reactionary. I never, ever thought my way through my problems. I never thought my way through situations. It was just like, Oh, you need money. What's the easiest thing to do? Go sell some drugs. Okay, cool. Done in an hour. You know what I mean? And it just, it just propels you further into these problems. Like just be a thoughtful person, be a mindful person. Like, are you going to regret this tomorrow? Is this going to hurt someone tomorrow? Is it going to hurt someone by proxy tomorrow? You know what I mean? So it's just, uh, it's a different way of looking at myself that is definitely radicalized the way I look at the world. It just sounds intentional. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, think that's yeah, the best yeah. way to put it. Yeah. 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 Intentional. I mean, uh, I think uh, a friend of mine, Richard Granin, I think I read a quote by him or I saw a little video that he did the other day and, you know, asking people, you know, people who are happy and people who are unhappy and so forth is, you know, you're probably going to be pretty satisfied with where you're at if, you know, who you want to be is lining up with who you're being. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's, it's funny. Like people are allowed to be whoever they want. I've, sure. I've yet to find the person and I'm sure they're out there. My experiences are individual, but I, I really don't see the people out there that are, I mean, listen, I know that when I walk in a room, especially when I was bigger, people were going to have their say about me, whether I cared or didn't. Right. Oh, yeah. The same as now. So I think as long as like, you're not bothering anyone, if you're really true to yourself, whether that's having a certain, you know, like a certain style of dress or a certain style of hair or lack of hair or whatever it is, I think if it's truly you, I, I see people that I know are forcing it. And I see people that I know that are owning it. And it's two different looks. It's two different walks. And yeah. not that I judge either differently. It's just, I hope that you make it. I hope that you finally get where you're going with this whole process because it is a process. The style and the person that I am today will probably be different six months from now. Hopefully it's different from six yeah. months from now. And it, it will be this continuous evolution. And it's like, we have to forgive people for that and not be so critical of them in the moment. But kind of like you were talking about earlier, Okay, give them time, but you have to you have to have a synopsis. Like if this person's always been a shitbag, you're gonna have to prove to me that you're a pretty decent person for a long time before I can undo what I know about you as a shitbag. Sure. I've lived it, 
you've lived it. We've all lived it. Like we've yeah. all made mistakes that we regret. We've said things that we regret. But I think if we, if we understand about ourselves, we have to respect that about other people too and not cast people out forever. Just say, this is who they are right now. Can't work with that. Just gonna, you know what I mean? And I think yeah. that's fair. I think that's fair, but it doesn't have to be cruel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, I've been around people, you know, because I get a lot of people coming to me for advice and, and you do too, obviously. And, <laughs> and some people are beyond my hope. And sure. I'm like, I can't even be wrapped up in whatever you're going through or doing right now. That's, that's for professionals, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, but you know, you might be okay in five years. Sure. You know, yeah. you should come back around, but. Do you ever find people that, you know, I had a kid very recently and I, and I respected the question and I just had to tell him, I was like, I'm not opposed to, to mentorship. I'm not opposed to that, but I do think that in some cases, and I think his was one where he didn't need a mentor. A mentor was just going to be another person that he could point the finger at. Right. And I, and I say this, having said these very things to him. Um, and I just think he needs to realize he can save himself. And we talked about that for a little bit and he's like, yeah, but you've been through these things. And he said, guess what? You can text me. Like if you have a problem, yeah, but I'm not going to give you a plan. I'm not going to give you my steps because they are mine. The things that I have done were relative to the problems that I had and the mistakes that I made. Your problems, while they might look and sound the same, mm -hmm. it's a different set of apologies. It's a different set of people that you need to make right with. It's a different set of justifications to yourself moving forward. I am not going to do these things again. I am not going to be this person anymore. I'm going to take care of these problems. And I think, and you know, dogs going crazy, but, um, I think, I think we all can do a little bit better in being honest with ourselves and really just working towards that person that we know that we are, that we're just afraid to be. I think that's the most beautiful human can be is when they're truly themselves and they're right with themselves. Absolutely. 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 And you know, mentoring, it can bleed you dry too. Oh yeah. yeah for it, sure. It can, it can bleed you dry, you know, and, uh, you know, something I learned in, in mentoring somebody that didn't work out eventually was that uh, you you uh, you can't take give so, you can't give someone a life on a silver platter and tell them how to do everything because they don't you know they, they don't appreciate it they don't understand how to get there and they don't you that's know, you know, that's yeah. that's a very good point I think to go back to skin in the game yeah. I think that is a very valuable part of the process like knowing because you've done, uh, understanding because you've seen mm -hmm. those things, they're more lasting. You know, you, I can tell you not to touch that stove cause it's hot. Right. That's only going to increase the desire to touch the stove. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's kind of one of those deals and that's, I will be here. I'll be the phone call or the text message you need when you do mess up, right. but you can't beat yourself up and you can't live on that mistake. You just have to keep going and figure it out because I can tell you the person that figures it out the first time is probably going to be the person that gets real miserable later on. You know what I mean? There's success is such a funny word because like I said, I was successful as a power lifter and people excused all my other failures sure. <laughs> because of that. So be wary of people who are super successful in one thing because it doesn't necessarily indicate everything. Sure. Sure. I mean, yes. we're all in whole people and we need, you know, there's always more to do. Uh, someone was asking me about mentors actually this morning and, we, you know, it's, uh, 
you know, you always have different heroes as you grow, you know, because there, there's guys doing, this is where, this is the piece I need now. You know, I, I have that piece. I need this next piece. So I need to look at this guy and what he's doing. Yeah, I think so. And I think that that's fair. I mean, I think it's, it's tiptoeing towards what I was saying before was it was like consumption, but for, for me, what you're saying still in line with what I do, it just, I don't necessarily disregard the fact that I'm not doing what you're doing anymore. So I don't have to leave you behind. Like I can sure. still respect, you know what I mean? And that was the mistake oh, yeah. I made before was like, oh, yeah. once I'd squeeze that orange to, to the end, I was already done with it and moving on. But now it's like, okay, I can keep coming back to this person as a resource, as a friend, as someone yeah. who is valuable in my life, even though maybe the very thing that made us friends in the first place is no longer, it's no longer relevant. It's no longer needed. It's no longer a part of my life, whatever. Um, but it doesn't mean that they don't have to be, or they don't have to be my friend because of that. You know, oh, sure. I, I don't know why. I mean, listen, I sound crazy saying that, but I used to be that way. Like if I wasn't about mm -hmm. something, I wasn't about somebody. So oh, okay. yeah. it was just like, I was, I always tried to live and, and breathe and bullshit that one percenter life, you know, like, Oh yeah, I'm all the way in, bro. Like if you're not all the way in, you're out, <laughs> you know? That right. Kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. People who you connect with, if you really connect with them, I mean, they're, they're, it's good to see them. Absolutely. Like, oh, I mean, that's it. That's why, like, uh, I was filming this uh, workout video the other day and I ran into my old friend, Bob and he, uh, we actually were, you know, worked, I met him boxing. Oh, okay. Like we were boxing together and whatever, and he doesn't box anymore. He doesn't, yeah. do that. but I met him boxing and that's where we kind of connected and, and, uh, whatever. And then he got, he, he coaches some power lifters and stuff now and does sure. power lifting. And, you know, a few months ago, I'm like, you know, my squat isn't great right now. I'm going to come down and, and squat with Bob because yeah. it's fun. Cause I want to see Bob, you know, you For know sure. we'll hang out and do that. And you know, I, we just ran into him at the same gym while we we're filming that video. And it's just good to see, good to see it. You know? Yeah. I love some of the hugs I get these days, man. Like those long, just, you can tell somebody needed it or they're glad yeah. to see you and I'm happy to get both. So yeah. Yeah. I, I just think that, that life, man, if I could have talked to myself, probably I wouldn't have listened. You know what I mean? If I sure, could go sure. back into, <laughs> but if there's anybody sitting on that fence and listening, um, I, I really do. I, I think that there's so much good in the world and, um, it, it can look like anything. It can be anything. It can be anyone. It just, live outside yourself is, is a great place to live, you know, and I'm still, I'm still selfish. I know that, like, I still have my tendencies, sure. but at least I'm recognizing that I am parts of those things. And I utilize them. Like, I know that if I'm working on a project, if I can just zone out and like tunnel vision, that means I'll get it done. And that means I can actually get back involved with family, friends, whatever it is faster, rather than if I'm like, just casually keeping them around and focused on this. You know what I mean? Right. So I try to deep dive when I go in and then get back out equally as fast and equally as deep, you know, try to put the phone down, try to put things away and, and really be immersed in it. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, so what are you working on now? I mean, uh, right now, my biggest focus one, um, as I told you, we kind of had a, a, you know, come together on the be, be legendary podcast, because I think I get a very, very positive experience when I talk to people like this, you have no idea how, how much I enjoy it. And 
I think it's an important space in a world where coaches have a lot of times been really put in a meat grinder. It's a, it's a stale and stagnant industry that are, that is set up around archaic rules and ideals. And if, if my voice, if my ability to spread a message from a coach can enlighten other coaches can expand what the industry becomes, that's, that's the ego side of what I hope it becomes. But the reality of it is I just want to create good conversations, bring positive light to people and to Sornex. And then on that same note, you know, people always ask me, what do you do for Sornex? Well, I'm Sornex communications. I'm Sornex community building. That's what I try to do is connect people and find people that, that work within our, our mold and our model of what it is, but also expand what that fringe looks like. And then that, bleeds over into the Sornex outdoor stuff. So I'm just really, really appreciative of my opportunities with Sornex and I'm trying to help them in whatever way that I can as a thank you to the assistance that they gave me because Bert, the community within there, that's the people I'm talking about. When I say I see people around throughout the year, multiple times a year, that are, those are those people. Every single one of those people are within the Sornex brotherhood or the Sornex community. And it just really is, a, it's a valuable thing to me. And I just want to share it with as many people as I can, because it's done so much for me and it's done so much for my friends just by creating community for people that have oftentimes lacked it. Right. But that's it. I mean, I don't, outside of, you know, really understanding that I really want to write another book, but do so respectfully, I think to the people that will read it rather than just respectfully to the potential of a bank account, you know, like, right. um, that would be one that I really want to, I have to get right with it. I have to decide this is what I'm going to do. Not like, like right now I've decided it's a good idea, mm -hmm. but I've not decided to put pen to paper, you know, for the last four or five years, honestly, um, it's kind of since my injury, I've tried a few times to write and it's all felt dishonest. I mean, it's felt like an attempt to write rather than I'm prompted to write something rather than I'm spilling myself. So I want to get back to where I'm bleeding on paper. You know, I want to get back to where I can write that way openly and publish some things. I just signed up for a, I can't even remember what it's called now, but I just signed up for a blog site, probably going to do so anonymously, just change the names, change the faces, but just, just get back in the habit of writing mm -hmm. every single day. Um, because literally, man, I've, I could, I'll send you a note personally just to you, but there's a, there's a note that I've probably gone to 30 times. And all I've ever been able to write in it is I've watched this cursor blink for years and like, that's where I get to. And I can't, you know, and I think that was because I was so afraid of being dishonest mm -hmm. after I decided that I want to be clearly honest and to the point about everything that I say and do. Right. I was afraid that, okay, well, what if you are evolving and three months from now, this article, somebody can come back on it. Now I get it. And that's fair. I mean, I know that's the world we yeah. live in, but I've really given myself the distance and I've really kind of solidified who I am, where I fit into my world and how I kind of exist in the world around me to understand that I'm not speaking to everyone. Mm -hmm. Everything that I write is not being judged by some grand scale that really matters. Like if I can write something that is torn to shreds by 10 people, but one person gets some benefit from it, I really am okay with that. I just haven't found the subject matter that I want to talk about yet because I'm talking a lot through the podcast. I'm talking a lot at events. So that's kind of quieted my need to write. Sure. But, but I enjoy writing. I enjoy the process of writing. I enjoy the exclusion of writing the, the isolation of it, you know, and I love the sound of it. Like I love 
the frenetics of, of typing and, and writing with pen on paper. I mean, all of those things are just kind of like mildly stimulating to me. So I'm trying to be respectful of them now. I'm trying not to just write um, to fill space or to get a word count. You know, I've done those things and it's a little different now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, writing's hard. Uh, yeah. It, it's definitely, I mean, we're, I'm working on a book right now and the hardest thing. Um, just you write very experience. well, by the way, like really well, like, and, and it's people and it's recognition of people like yourself. It's like, okay, because of podcasts like this or because of social media connections, it's like, I would say that people put us on a similar pedestal, okay. you know, and it's like, okay, if, if Jack is doing these things and writing at this level, mm-hmm. not that I need to write at his level, but I need to dedicate to this writing at his level. I need to better myself because my peers are doing better, you know? And sure. I think that I've, I've kind of, I've kind of uh, taken the easy way out on a couple of projects when I should have pushed further and been mm-hmm. more demanding of myself so that's what I want to do now. And it's, and again, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you know, saying that you're writing a book, just, it's awesome. Like I admire that because I've struggled so much with getting the the ideas on paper. I, I have them and obviously I can talk for forever, but when I try to put them down, it, it just becomes problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, uh, something I found recently with doing that is that, uh, you know, if you're not sure exactly where you're going, it's really hard. Right. You know, if you're not sure exactly, like uh, I was working on a chapter, I spent the last like two months sitting from my keyboard, like, all yeah. right, you know, like <laughs> and, and doing cool little aphorisms and things, but they weren't really coming together. And then I wrote a whole chapter in like a day and a half because I finally figured out where I was going. Yeah. That's and, the way uh, it works, man. And then it just pours out, you know, yeah. but uh, sometimes you just have to sit there for long enough until you figure it all out. And That's kind of, it kind of goes back to the Hank Williams senior thing. If it don't come out in five minutes and ain't coming at all, you know what I mean? And maybe yeah. that's, well, I mean, I think that's, for, <laughs> yeah. but for me, like sure. I can sit there and will myself through a thousand words or 1500 words. I can do that. Yeah. But those moments when it just like flows and it's like, Oh shit. Oh, that, that's too- magic. That's yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's magic. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the work of writing, it doesn't work like that, but like oh, right. <laughs> good stuff. That's yeah, the yeah. good stuff is right there. That's when it just comes out and you're like, I don't even know where this is coming from. My key, like I always say, I, I can't handwrite. I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> at all. And, yeah. uh, but you know, and I, I'm not even the best speaker, but you know, like, so, like at the good stuff, I'm thinking with my fingers. At yeah. The, yeah. Like yeah. It's actually just happening down there and it's not happening. It's barely happening up here, you know? So. It, yeah, it's, man, it's that's, that's when it's, that's when it's fun when you're just when you're just flowing. Oh yeah. Oh for yeah. sure, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that, that's the that's the good stuff. <laughs> for sure. Cool, man. All right. Well, I think this is a good it's a good uh, wrap up. Yeah, man. I uh, I'm actually you know I'm I'm very inspired from this, believe it or not. Um, just because I, I have a lot of respect for you, and um, I think you're doing a lot of good things, and I think that you know times in your life where you've been on misunderstood i think you kind of stood the test of time and it's pretty cool to see man um I'm hanging on that's right and that's <laughs> yeah. and hell yeah and hell yeah for doing it and you're doing it your way and i respect the hell out of it cool man thank you well it's, it's great to finally uh, finally connect and yeah this podcast for sure man i appreciate it cool, man.